0: I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. Clarkdeals.com is our bargain site where we post deals for you around the clock. Coming up later in today's Clark Rageous Moment, your employer sets up your payroll, sends the money to pay it, but you don't get paid. Wait till you hear the dangers that are existing out there with payroll and payroll services. Coming up yet later, there's room at the end, too many rooms at the end, and I want to tell you the strategies you need to know in order to take advantage of the hotel market overbuilding and demand slowing at the same time. I'm seeing lower prices. You're going to see them too if you follow my steps. I want to talk right now about something absolutely stunning. So, I've seen over the last week at least 10 stories about why you should stop using a debit card. Now, that is quite a lot in a very short period of time. I've been anti-debit card for more years than I could count. And I've always referred to them as the piece of trash, fake Visa, or fake MasterCard. And the reason I've talked about them that way is because you don't have the protections as a consumer that you have with a regular real credit card. And that's because the banks hold so much sway in Washington now. Debit cards came around in a different era than credit cards. And so the banks were able to push back on any attempt to give you actual real protections with a debit card. It may look the same. It's got that Visa or MasterCard logo, but it's a piece of trash because it doesn't protect you the same way. Now, why, though, after all the years of talking about what garbage debit cards are, would I see so many stories in just a week's time? The reason is there's a new report out from what's known as the Merchant Risk Council, which is something there to advise retailers and restaurateurs who accept payment cards of all kinds, what danger there is, particularly for online sellers, of getting taken by a phony card. You may or may not know this, but when you go to a retailer or restaurant and you present your card, even if... A crook presents a card with your number. The merchant's protected. They don't get hit with the loss because the card was present. They got an approval code and all that. But when you shop online, the liability moves from the banks to the merchant. And so knowing that the credit card numbers being used are secure is really important. Well, according to the Merchant Risk Council... Now, over 8 and 10 cards out there, the numbers have now been compromised. So let's say you carry, for just argument's sake, you carry five pieces of plastic in your wallet. On average, four of those five, the numbers are already in the hands of crooks. They just haven't gotten around to using them yet. So the danger you with a credit card isn't much. Like, all right, so this year I've had three of my credit cards replaced because the numbers were used by crooks to try to buy things. Three, just this year. And what's happened to me is not particularly unusual. So here's the difference with the piece of trash, fake Visa or fake MasterCard. So if we're that vulnerable that four out of five cards you might carry, the numbers are already in the hands of criminals just waiting for the moment they're going to start using them. If one of those cards they got the number of is a debit card, what they're able to do is they're able to strip the money out of your checking account. And then you have to fight with your own bank or credit union to get that money back. And guess what? There are more and more published reports that people are having trouble getting their own money back. That the banks are alleging, oh no, we don't believe you. You're the one who used those cards for those transactions. And the way the law is set up, you're in the weak position. And now that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is no longer doing an active role protecting consumers, the banks feel like it's open season, it's hunting day for your wallet every day of the, wor- of the year. So you got to know that that debit card is poison to your pocketbook because the payment system industry is broken and you're at risk. So be aware, be wary, be careful. Noel is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Noel. How can I serve you? Yeah, my son's fourth grade teacher has asked me to talk to their class about personal finance. Um, Because of you and a lot of other uh, um, financial
1: gurus, it's really something that's important to me. Um, I have some ideas, but I wanted to get your opinion Uh, What are the main points to tell the kids um, to get them excited about saving money?
0: So there's something that uh, you may or may not have heard me say that in the occasions when I've talked to school groups of any age, I always pull one trick out of the hat. So what I do is I show a picture of a family that's got a mega house. Right. Fancy cars, the latest fancy electronics, and then I show another family living in a modest home, driving an older car, and not having any fancy gadgets. And then I I wanted to tell you that this doesn't matter whether I'm talking to kids in elementary school, middle school, or high school. Because the answer's always the same. I ask the kids by show of hands, is family A the wealthy family, the millionaire family, or is family B? And it's a trick question you already know the answer to as a regular listener. The kids, many times 100%, but often close to 100%, they always say it's the family with the big house, fancy car, and all that that's the millionaire family and it opens the door for me to get in a conversation that works with fourth graders as well as it does with tenth graders and that is that the concept is it's never what you make that counts it's what you don't spend that matters right and so that's something that i can pretty much universally explain and awesome. and so that is a great opener to talk to the kids about. And then um, I start talking about, doing examples, depending on the age, I might give kids money and then have theoretical items on the board that they can buy with that money. And then they get to decide what they want to buy. Now, the smart kids about money are the ones that decide that they're going to put the money that they're going to keep the money instead of buying any of the things and that's the second big lesson that works well with kids because remember the the first thing i said is it's never what you make it's what you don't spend that counts right and so the the next example may not work with fourth graders but it works with older ones i say um tell me name all the electronics you have that you don't use anymore Mm -hmm. and they'll start talking about this game machine or that game machine or maybe an old phone if they're you know if they're in high school and start talking about what those things cost and then I ask them hey how many things are there in your closet that you never wear that works for adults too so the idea is to to drill it down to where you're not trying to say, so you can retire someday, saying that to a 10-year-old, it's not going to work, right? But if you make it completely to scale, where it's all about behavior and the results, and then I end, regardless of what age I'm talking about, about the concept of power and control. Because who doesn't want to be more powerful in their own lives, right? Right. That sure. In a capitalist system, the one who has money has the power. The one who owes money is weak. Okay, great. Can I ask you a follow-up real quick? Sure. How did I do creating a syllabus oh, for you? Yeah, that's perfect. I'm, I'm going to use that. That's great. So um, we have a family business, and um, my oldest
1: two are uh, 10 and 9 years old, and I didn't know when I could start um, having them, when, when they work at the business, when can I start using their hours towards an IRA for, for a Roth?
0: As long as you pay them, document it, file tax returns for them, they're good to go now. I mean, you're, child labor laws don't apply to you with uh, kids and when it's your own family business. And getting them started now with a Roth IRA is great. And awesome. the advantage for them down the road is gigantic. So great. I think you go for it. And, you know, kids who work on a family farm or work in a family business of any kind have the best work ethic as adults of really any kids who, because almost no kids seem to work anymore, you know, growing up. And the advantage to those who do is great. But I always feel bad for for adults who tell me that when they were kids, they used to have to go worked the farm at four o'clock in the morning before they went to school that's right it's tough it may have been six o'clock but they tell his adults that it was four (laughs) o'clock thanks so much Clark I appreciate it Sure. have a great day take care all right (laughs) Bruce is with us on the Clark Howard show hi Bruce hi how are you great thank you Bruce how can I serve you today
2: well, my wife and I have decided to prepay for funeral and cemetery expenses. Uh, the reason for that is we have some experience with it. it we've uh, recently buried uh, my mother-in-law, her, my wife's mother, and uh, it just was very convenient, very uh, um, pleasant, a pleasant experience for us having having all those expenses prepaid by her uh, her herself and her husband years ago. So we'd like to do that for our survivors as well. Um, So I have some questions related to that. And part of it comes from a background. Uh, Years ago, my wife and I purchased, this is in the 70s, we purchased um, a plan, a program, and then the company went out of business. Uh, Of all the money that we spent uh, back in the 70s, the only thing we have left to show for it, Is the actual plot.
0: Right. Um, You you took words right out of my mouth. I got to tell you this, Bruce. This is so crazy you just said that because that was one of the things I was going to say to you why not to do it like your late mother in law did. So I want to give you an alternative.
2: and, I, and I've been doing some research on that. But, of course, the cemetery and funeral home people, they all say it's protected. Yeah, In fact, yeah, that's yeah. what I was researching. I was told that when, you, when a person prepays for these services, that money actually goes into a trust fund. And that's where the money is stored so that it could be used anywhere. Right. For instance, if we move and go to a different state and, right. and you know, we choose to be interred somewhere else. I was told that that money is in a trust fund and it can be used anywhere. All right, I so been don't, let me tell you that. something.
0: Don't trust what you were told about the trust funds. Because, All right. because even though the law may require that, many times there will be conversion of that money and it never makes it into the trust funds required by the state. And you don't know for decades that that hasn't happened as it was supposed to. And so my preference is that you make arrangements in advance, but do it in ways that are very economical, but don't pay in advance. And I want to direct you to a website that will walk you through how to do that. Okay, It's funerals.org. Funerals.org. And if you go to that website, you'll know step-by-step the Right Way to Plan, they have a, in fact, they call it their four-step funeral planning guide, and it'll give you all the procedures and rules, and, it, and they'll give you the pluses and minuses of doing what your late mother-in-law did, and you'll be able to make what would be, for you, the best decision. They also have a link to local funeral and memorial societies that use group buying power to buy funeral services for you at a much, much lower price. So check that out. Today's Clark Clarkrageous moment is a special warning for employers, particularly small to mid-sized businesses that are hiring or use a payroll service. You may or may not have heard, there were multiple media reports about a payroll service that was... Not honest, and had been offering payroll service for a while and reached a point it had a decent book of clients and then did what's known as so a bust out when it was time for employees to get paid. They did what is normal. They deducted the money from employers' accounts to pay payroll the next day. and then they vanished in the night stealing $35 million dollars. The employers out the money. Employees with no money for their paychecks. So the payroll business has expanded a lot. There are a lot of new players involved with payroll. you got to be very careful selecting a payroll provider because it could destroy your business or destroy your employees or a combination of the two if the payroll service turns out to be just a con job. So be careful when you select one. And ask the question, how are payrolls protected? What insurance do you have? How do I know I can trust you before you hire a payroll service that can leave your employees and you high and dry? It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. Clarkdeals.com, our bargain site. So, something that has not been a bargain in recent years renting or staying in a hotel? I mean, apartment rental rates had gone up and up and up year after year, starting in 2011 in much of the country. And rents are, on average, substantially higher in much of the nation. Hotel rates since 2012 have gone steadily higher, and there's a direct economic effect of that. Seeing rising rents, rising hotel rates, both sectors have been building like crazy, and if you're a renter, which one in three of us are in the country, if you're looking around, you're seeing the signs More and more desperate signs from apartments trying to rent, offering deals, even now potentially lower rents in addition to move-in specials and months of free rent, and tenants are seeing things where they get uh, hundreds of dollars potentially if they refer somebody as a potential new tenant and on like that. Well, that happened already with the apartment industry being overbuilt, and it takes uh, typically three years from an apartment being planned till when the first tenants move in. So there's an enormous stream of apartments coming online that are leading to oversupply and potential better deals for you as a tenant. The hotel sector, same kind of thing, except it may even take longer than three years to go from a concept proposed for a hotel till the first guest spends a night in a room. And so the hotel sector has been overbuilding at a frenzied pace. And I think about when I travel around the country, I travel constantly, the building cranes, I see it feels like everywhere I go in America, I see the building cranes in urban and suburban areas building all kinds of new construction, and hotels big on that list, well, business travel is slowing, and hotels, yeah, they kind of have a split market, very heavily dependent on business travelers, some cities conventioneers, and then on the weekend, leisure travelers. Well, you have this train wreck for the hotels as they've been building all these rooms at the same time, business travel slowing, and I'm seeing better and better deals. I want to tell you something I've noticed is a big trend that's my friend. Over the last year, I'm finding that hotels in business-oriented communities are offering much better prices in the last 72 hours before I'm going to stay somewhere. Many times they'll dump the inventory uh, on Priceline or Hotwire. But I'm seeing really, really good prices. And for the first time in a long time, I'm seeing room rates on uh, what are sold as four-star hotels back in two digits instead of three, where I'm paying um, less than $100 a night. Recently, I stayed in a four-star, very nice four-star hotel that I paid $51 for the night plus the taxes. And so what I do is I book a refundable room if I'm booking uh, pretty far out before I'm traveling somewhere. And usually you only have to cancel those two to three days before arrival. And that's when I'm checking to see what's available otherwise. And that's when I'm finding really, really, really great deals at the last minute danny's with us on the clark howard show hi danny hi mr howard how are you oh danny you just (laughs) violated a key rule of our show do you know what that is
1: i know i know but that's how my parents raised me so that's a habit i can't get out of
0: so you just got to call me clark and ask them for forgiveness all right so danny what's going on with you
1: so uh, my wife and i recently sold our house and we got a decent chunk of money from that. And I've got a substantial amount of student loans that I'm looking towards putting down some of that money from the Sailor House to pay down my student loan balance. And I'm kind of curious about the best way to go about doing that.
0: So I'm pretty excited about the opportunity for you to extinguish some of your debts. Give me the lay of the land. What do you have in debts in terms of dollar amounts and interest rates? All
1: right, well, hold on to your chair. Um, I have about $140,000 total. All right, so I um, stand
0: when I do this show, okay. so I'm having to pick <laughs> myself up off the floor.
1: Um, I've got, let's see, it's about, I think it's about nine total loans that total about one hundred um, Eight of them are federal. One of them is private. Um, the private is a variable right now at point. Four five. The um, federal ones range from two of them are at 7.9, three, four of them are at 6.8, and then two of them are at 4.875.
0: Okay, so normally I would tell you take whatever cash you can and put it towards the variable rate loan. And that's normally what I would say, but right now with the economy slowing, uh, we've got a better chance that the variable rates will go down rather than up unless it has a floor at that 6. what did you say? Uh,
1: it is uh, currently 6.45.
0: Yeah, so do you know if that loan has a floor on the interest rate or can it go down uh, continually?
1: Off the top of my head, I do not know. That's something I'll definitely check into.
0: All right, so. so again, normally I would say, take out the private loan with a variable rate, because the others, you know what you're dealing with. But right. with the current environment we're in, I would go heavily towards that 7.9% rate. Right. And how much do you think you owe on the 7.9?
1: Um, they'd combined, those two are roughly 43. And so we have that we were planning on taking about 65 to 70 from the sale of the home to pay them down so i was planning on throwing it at both of those and i didn't know if i should throw it at additionally at some of that 6.8 federal or like you said do it at the um, the private one so
0: yeah so I, was- I would take the 43 and kill the 7.9 loans get them just out of your life eight percent's no fun at all because you've got enough to do that right because you said you got 65 you can put towards them Correct. Yeah, so wipe those two out. And then after that you got 6.8 fixed, you got 6.5 variable. I think I'd I'd go towards the private loan and put as much as you can towards that 6.5 variable. Okay. All and the right. difference you're going to make because you're going to go from $140,000 in student loan debt to 75,000 in student loan debt the monthly effect of that with what your obligations are going to be on those going to be completely different, and then how much interest they're going to throw off each month is going to be cut by more than half because you're, you will have gotten rid of the highest interest rate loans.
1: Right. What do you think about after paying down that chunk, you know, I I know you're a fan of federal loan versus private, but refining basically the balance or maybe a portion of the balance into a private loan that has a lower interest rate. Or I know one of the other options is to do a federal consolidation, but they kind of take, I think, your weighted average of what you have left. So then my 4.875. Yeah, so leave the 4 point,
0: here's what I would do. I would leave the 4.875s as they are, and with the direction of interest rates, you may be able to take down the 6.8, down uh, as much as two points or more, and then I always say that it's only worth taking a, a federal loan and making it private if you can save one and a half points. You should be able to save maybe two percentage points. Okay. And then it's worth giving up the borrower rights on a federal loan for the lack of borrower rights on the private. Gotcha. With the refi, and you know, SoFi is the biggest player in that, and they've got competition now.
1: Right, right. Now, what do you think about doing variable rates with those private? uh, No, no, no.
0: with with lowered with interest rates going down, this is the time that you go into a fixed rate, not a variable. So you don't want to at a time of where rates are going to be unusually lower than normal, you don't want to be in a position where when rates start to climb again, you're paying higher variable rates. You want to fix those rates and know that that's all you're going to have to worry about for an interest rate. Ron is with us on the Clark Howard show. Hi Ron. Hi Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Ron. You've got a question for me about becoming your own one-time-only real estate seller or agent.
1: That's right. I'd like to know I'm currently live in a hot job market with a hot real estate market. And homes can sell here if they're a nice home in just a day with multiple offers. And So I'm looking for a way where I can get my home listed on the MLS without a realtor, if that's a good idea.
0: Yeah, there are, there are services, many services available that typically will charge you a flat rate or 1% of the uh, purchase price of the home for having them put you through the MLS. So if you were to, to just do a search with, I like for you to do this like on DuckDuckGo, but you could do it uh, on a Google search where you say uh, FISBO, just do FSBO, and then say MLS. And you'll see various services that will make uh, an MLS listing available to you for a flat rate for you selling your own property. But I will tell you this, even in a hot market, it's your advantage to protect commission for agents that bring you a buyer because otherwise why are they even going to show your place to anybody and they still control the overwhelming market share out there
2: so you're really not advising to use these sites then
0: well no i'm i'm saying it's fine for you to do for sale by owner because you still save a substantial amount of commission because you protect the the buyer's agent at 2%, 25 or 3%. Instead of if you use a traditional agent to sell your home, you're usually looking at 6 or 7%, depending on local market conditions, that you're having okay. to pay in commissions. So okay, I think so. people do much better at half a loaf on commissions than trying to avoid paying them entirely.
2: Okay, so use the site with the realtor that comes with the site.
0: Uh, no. That's not what I'm saying. Let me uh, let me sorry. explain this again. So you have to have somebody with a real estate license in order to get you on the MLS. So they basically okay. lend their license to you in return for you paying them a fee that will be uh, in, normally in the hundreds of dollars. And that's why you do that search online to find services available to you where you live that will do that for you, get you in the MLS. But the second side of it is that when you sell your property yourself, most potential buyers are still coming to you with an agent, and that agent's going to trash-talk your home or not even show your home if you're not protecting them by paying that buyer's agent a commission. So even though you're not having to pay the seller's half, the listing half of the commission, I still think it's really smart for you to say agents protect it. That's all you have to say. And then you negotiate what that means. Are you going to pay them a flat rate or pay them 2%, 25 or 3 somewhere in that range for bringing you a qualified buyer?
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: So I think that, that combination works, but trying to cut them out of the whole game, that makes it much tougher for you to get that house sold. Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joe. Hi, how are you doing? Great. Thank you, Joe. I'm really excited to have your question. Hit me with it.
1: All right. I used to have an app that uh, would make my credit card act like a debit card in that it would uh, pay as I would uh, make a transaction. And that uh, has been purchased and shut down since. I was looking for a replacement for that. Yeah,
0: so you're talking about either Debitize or Debits. They both folded. And it was outstanding because, you know, as I talked about even earlier this hour, the danger right now that debit card holders are so exposed. And so being able to use a credit card without being able to spend yourself into debt, is such a great thing. So you found something else you want to ask me about that lets you do that. Tell me about that. What's the name of it? What does it do?
1: Um, the name of the app is called Steady Pay, And to me, it looks like it does the same thing where it's going to link to your credit card, and then you can utilize that as a as a debit card where it will take the money out right away for you.
0: Yeah, and the, the beauty payment. of this is you have all the protections of a credit card, but mm-hmm. also the the same kind of features as a debit card, where if you don't have money, you can't spend that money.
1: Correct, and that's kind of what I was looking forward to, is just having that protection of the credit card.
0: Yeah, so um, we don't know yet how reliable Steady Pay is. Okay. But the idea of it is so similar to Debitize and debits that um, I hope that it works exactly as they did and mm-hmm. allows people to have the legal protections of a credit card without the spending problem that can come with a credit card. And sure. until we have some real-world experience with it, we don't know. Now, they have done something a little different than the other two. It This one's a freemium business model where you can use it free or you can buy additional services from them for a monthly fee. But you can use the base level of what you use Debitize for to be able to avoid difficulties with running into debts. And so if you use this, you're basically a a tester. You're you're like a beta tester. (laughs) So you've got to decide if you're comfortable with that. And some of our staff members on Team Clark are going to try it, and then we're going to be able to let you and others know what the experience is like, and I hope they can make this work and work well because we need this kind of service so badly. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.